Have you ever found yourself after a game of D&D debating over a particular rule that came up and trying to figure out, as a group, how to break it? As a DM, do you get that feeling of dread when your player asks, if you look at it this way? Well, we decided to turn that into a podcast. A group of DMs come together every episode as we discuss how rules is written, we can figure out how to maximize what we can do with a rule, and how we can use other rules to break the game. Each episode, we will be joined by a guest, including DMs from some of our favorite podcasts, and get a sneak peek behind the DM screen from some of our favorite shows as they share their own thoughts and experiences on a particular rule and how it has affected their games. Please feel free to jump in on our discussions by leaving us a comment on Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or feel free to email me at dm at dndraw.com, or send us a tweet to at rules as written and let us know how the rule may have come up during one of your games or how you figured out a way to break the game that we didn't discuss so thanks for joining us hey everyone i'm tony hi this is bethany hey this is rachel my name is joshua c mcmahon so what's the latest that's been happening in your game that like caused this particular bit of discussion we're about to have Oh, is that for me? Sorry. <laughs> or whoever. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, it's because uh, it's in, in Bethany's game, we're now in a cloud giant flying castle. Even before we went up, we were just really concerned with falling, particularly uh, your character, Rachel. Yeah. So my character had been thrown from the top of a spire, some four, five, six hundred feet up in the air, would not have survived. <laughs> that was like the beginning of the game. That was really early on. Session two or three. Well, we made the big mistake of splitting the party. <laughs> we haven't done that since. No, we have not. <laughs> I'd say the fear of falling definitely goes back to that original uh, incident with the Feathergale Spire. Yeah, that was only a 400-foot drop. Yeah. Which was... Fortunately, not fatal due to, uh, I think we called it Deus Ex Arachacron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we did. Oh, I forgot about that. It rolls right off the tongue. It does. <laughs> well, just to paint the picture for the audience, too, she was somewhere else in this, what was it, the air temple? Yeah, it was the Feathergill Spire, but yeah, it was the air keep. Do we need to say anything about spoilers? Because that is kind of a spoiler. I guess so. I guess we can preface this with this is some spoil. This is a little bit of, well, hmm. We could essentially say this is uh, a little spoiler within Princes of the Apocalypse. Yeah, it's not a big spoiler. It's just a small one. Basically, if you get separated from the party at the top of the, the tower, you will get thrown off. That is in the book. So <laughs> I guess we'll just, uh, yeah, we can either go with spoilers or we just won't mention specifics. So in the the mystery book that is being... <laughs> In the mystery book that we're playing right now, the campaign that we're totally not going to talk about what it is because then we'd spoil it. There is a part where if you if you split the campaign or split the party, then uh, someone will get thrown off the top if you if you attack or provoke an attack from the from the other side. So what were we doing? We were we were basically harassing we were the boss. We were interrogating. Yes, right. Yeah. Well, it's okay. Once the person gets thrown off and you find out about it, you just go on a killing spree of everyone inside. Oh, God. Murder them all. Or at least that's what we did. Neutral evil. A little bit. Yeah. There were some discussion of alignments following that session. Meanwhile, I was planning my next character because I was pretty sure I was going to be <laughs> splatted. Yeah, you're like, I'm dead. I only need to level two. We all freaked out though because what we were—he was talking through a sending stone, wasn't he? 
uh, he used a message spell. So he was just like, power off the tower. <laughs> yep. So we knew before it happened, like, what was about to happen. And so it was a really dramatic. Yeah, when we ran up to find out and it's already gone. So we thought you were actually dead. But you were not. You were totally fine. But it did, it did spark some discussion about, like, terminal velocity way later now that we're on this other other uh, floating castle of, like, what... And I think Tony and I, we, we got into this big argument about at, at work of, of why it's only 20d6, is that right? Yeah, that it, uh, falling damage in D&D, uh, it's 1d6 for every 10 feet to a maximum of 20d6, uh, which is only like 200 feet. But that means at 200 feet or higher, you're only taking 20d6. Uh, right now, we're at level 9, and two or three of our characters could easily like take all of that damage and still be conscious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the book doesn't, it's actually a really short, short section on falling damage. It's only three sentences. So it kind of leaves it, I think, open for DMs to sort of build on that if it's more than 200 feet, which technically shouldn't come up a lot unless you're uh, in a cloud castle. You know, like uh, 1,200 feet above the ground? <laughs> yeah. Depending yeah. on what floor we're on, I suppose. <laughs> which I think we're actively like live counting now. We're like 13, 14, 1,500 feet. Like constantly making sure, like what, how, how far, how far up we right now? Mm-hmm. We just want to confirm. Hug the ground, everybody. Hug it. You'll save. You'll <laughs> yeah. save a d6 or two. We're trying to figure out how big the crater's gonna be. Oh. Yeah, we. The impact is a separate thing too. <laughs> so, uh, Tony, do you want to tell the the story of what happened to your character? Oh well, even before we were worried about falling, we were dealing with this, but. Eventually, we did have a, a lovely air battle uh, on some flying griffins against the white dragon. And uh, my character and the griffin both got knocked unconscious at the same time and just plummeted the 1,200 feet. Well, it all happened at once, too, because wh- what was it? Like, we it was the breath attack happened. Even, yeah. even, even you, Bethany, were like, oh, God, I've killed half the party. It's the worst. <laughs> it's worse than killing the whole party. Like, it's just... You kill half of them and you traumatize the rest. <laughs> <laughs> and so we had to figure out who, because we're all on mounts, so it was like, okay, you're conscious, but your mount's dead. You're dead, but your mount, mount is fine. And you're, <laughs> so there was all these different <laughs> logistics that had to happen. And I was still on land <laughs> with no mount. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you were fine. Yeah, Rachel's character had, for some reason, decided to avoid going out on a, an into aerial combat. In hindsight, made the best decision. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but I think, what, Tony, your character was dead and your bird was dead. I was unconscious. He was making death saves. My bird was dead. I failed the first death save, and then I hit the ground. So that's two more failed death saves. So I was dead by that point. Uh, fortunately, we have a great cleric who was able to get to the ground in time and revivify me. That was Josh's character. Well, I was dead, though. So I was the, or no, oh, I wasn't dead. I, was, I wasn't dead. I wasn't dead. I keep saying dead. That's wrong. You were unconscious. I was unconscious. But your griffin was still up. Yeah, my griffin was fine. And then who's, but, but, uh, another player in the our, campaign. Our sorcerer, Wayward. His Wayward still had his griffin up, so quick fly over to you to shove a healing potion in your mouth to wake you up. But Chris's character was fine, but his bird was dead. Yes, yeah, so he was starting to fall, and they had a, uh, Rachel's character and our sorcerer Wayward were able to rush over and catch him. But it was basically like, okay, who's on first? Somebody's on second. I don't know who's on third, and somebody's passed out on fourth. And everyone going, <laughs> like, there was a lot of anxiety in the room. It was very exciting. Lots of deep breathing. Lots of mapping. Very terrifying. Oh, God, yeah. And then, and so what? We picked Chris up out of his out of his bird, threw a potion yep. in my mouth. 
Yep. <laughs> and then I flew down to save Uthal. Knowing he was going to die before you could get there. Oh, we all knew I was already dead. Thank God I've got Revivify. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yay, Clary. <laughs> but in terms of the terminal velocity, what was the damage you actually took? Do you remember? I only wound up... I actually rolled all 20d6, and it was 79 points of damage. Uh, my max HP is 84. Oh, my God. So if I was at full health, I would have survived. And, yeah, it's massive damage, but... Been in a lot of pain. It would have hurt. Uthal takes massive damage for breakfast. He does take it about once a session yeah. on average. Just to explain this, that uh, my character is a Goliath fighter. Awful stupid. <laughs> Not real smart, oh. but oh. Be be really strong. He is, he is average intelligence, and he's uncannily good at arcana checks. I was just going to say, he makes every one of those arcana checks. Don't you dare badmouth him. <laughs> As he runs into the face of a dragon. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he kind of did. Yeah, he'd still do it again. <laughs> <laughs> but we were fighting about the uh, the terminal velocity, too, because you don't think 20d6 is, is enough, do you, Tony? I don't think it's enough, because honestly, at level 9, at level 10, we're getting to the point where we could easily survive that fall and still remain conscious. That's why you and I were actually talking about uh, what is terminal velocity, how, how long... How far of a fall would uh, you have to take before you reach terminal velocity? And according to Google, we reach that as being, was it 1,800 feet? 1,880? Yep. So just under 1,900 feet. So for the purposes of, for the purposes of D&D, what is that, like 190d6? That is 190d6. <sighs> and it says it takes anywhere from 10 to 14 seconds. That's only two rounds. That's disgusting. That, okay, so... so <laughs> well, or, or two, two and a half rounds. A half. Yeah. It hit the ground. So you can use your last standard action to just fetal position. I'm going to use my last movement to fetal. My last yeah. free action to poop. That's assuming you're conscious when this is happening. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, since the book is so uh, kind of loosey-goosey on, like, falling speed and falling damage, if, correct me if I'm wrong, Tony, uh, I pretty much allowed three rounds for him to fall. During which time the Josh's character sort of tried to catch up with him so that he would be there in time to cast Revivify. And also it gave him a chance to make his death saves. Yeah, um, I wound up, according to the rules for this one, dropping at 400 feet per round. Which was just my, my decision as DM, because there's not a lot of actual guidelines on it. Physics don't exist. Nope. Yeah. There's magic, it's okay. Yeah, thank God they don't, because that's why we're gonna break the game. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got my I've got my dice calculator here too, and I just did the math on the night 190d6, and so we've got an average of 665 damage. So we're dead. Um, even getting up to level 20, we're dead. What's a good What's a, like a What's your level 20 health? Or what would you say is like a level 20 super strong, hardy max con character? Um, it's like over 200, right? It's uh well over 200. Um, a shy of 300. But nowhere near this much. But you may not take your full max damage in that one. So you may be unconscious, but not dead. Oh, actually, no, you probably would be dead, because I bet you you'd go negative max with that. May It might be close, depending on how... Because if he's maximum 300, and you're assuming the average roll, you could roll really, really crappy, and it's all ones. Let me tell you what the odds of that are. <laughs> <laughs> really high, right? No, so I just, I just did calculate this. If you take the... Average roll for a barbarian with max con, um, it winds up being about 245 HP. 
Mm-hmm. You'd be dead. Yeah. You'd be dead. You'd be dead. Everyone would be dead instantly. Unless you've got a like jumbo basket of temp hit points. <laughs> or take the toughness feat and a bunch of other feats to boost your health. But uh, most people don't build their character intending to fall out of the sky. It's sort of a an incidental occurrence. Or unless you have that death guard on. Death ward? That would technically save you. It would hurt so bad. That would totally save you. That would be excellent. Yeah, that would drop you to one HP instead after you've like partially been crushed from the fall. Oh gosh. Well, as long as you were conscious at the time you fell. Yeah. Well, you would have to be, otherwise Death Ward is not on you. Death Ward yeah, keeps right, you conscious. Right. That's true. That would be the best. Can you imagine getting knocked unconscious, dropped to one HP because you have Death Ward on it, and then falling? And then fall after that so you're conscious for this massive damage fall. Yes. That's that's, uh. that's the time to poop. <laughs> okay, but now let's really try to break this, because obviously Death Ward, that'll totally save you from a fall. But what about if you had a friend on the ground... <laughs> <laughs> who has access to, say, a portal, like a teleportation circle. All right, so the trouble with teleportation circle is, one, it takes a minute to cast, which means they need to be casting it oh. before you even start falling. Okay. Yeah, that'd be a straight-up accident, I think. I guess if they had a scroll... Or a wish. That's the only other way to do it. Do we want to bring wish into this? Because that kind of is a wish whole Wish will break other. if anything if the DM allows it. No, it's just... It's just <laughs> I, I'm so entertained by the idea of wishing for a teleportation circle instead of just, I wish oh. my friend survived. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I wish for a loophole. <laughs> All right, well, what about Dimension Door? That was one we wanted to look at, because that's a casting type of action that the person falling could actually cast. Okay, so then the question becomes, does your velocity keep with you if you cast Dimension Door? All right, to read Dimension Door really quickly, it does have a range of 500 feet, so that allows you to teleport yourself anywhere up to 500 feet. And you arrive exactly at the spot you desire... It can be a place you can see, one you can visualize, or one you can describe by stating distance and direction. You can bring along objects as long as their weight doesn't exceed what you can carry. You can also bring one willing creature of your size or smaller who is carrying gear up to its carrying capacity. The creature must be within five feet of you when you cast the spell. If you would arrive in a place already occupied by another creature, you would then, you and the other creature would take force damage. And the spell would then fail to teleport you. So... The question then is, do you maintain that speed if you try and teleport yourself 500 feet in a specific direction? Honestly, I would say no. I'd say it stopped. You arrive at that spot. So I'd say you as yourself are suddenly in this new position in a unaffected state by your previous velocity. So then your best bet is if you're falling like, let's say, 1,900 feet for terminal velocity... <laughs> is wait until you're roughly 500 feet above the ground and dimension door towards the ground. Well, alternatively, you could dimension door halfway to decrease the number of damage you're going to take. So you're only falling 50 feet instead of, you know, 19,000, because it's really hard to to judge ground that's flying at your face. As someone who skydived, I can tell you, it is really hard to judge how far you are from the ground. But yeah, you can essentially use it to minimize your damage. If if you're falling quickly, you can dimension door down and then uh by that lot by that rule set of just essentially your your speed stops, you would be falling from a different height. Yeah. That's if we accept the premise that you don't Continue with the same momentum. I'm, I'm inclined to agree. There's nothing here that says you don't, and there's nothing else in the standard rule set that would, that would take into account velocity. So this would be something you could save yourself with. But taken further, could you 
airship in to a capital, drop in on, like, the king's palace and use Dimension Door to just get in. Yeah, as a way to, like, assassinate the king from the heavens. It's a halo drop. It's a halo drop, yeah. yeah. High altitude, low opening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, at what point, like, okay, now let's let's do this intentionally. I'm going to jump out of this building, and then, like, the thief who who has to, like, rob the, the ruby from the, the precipice of a mountain who then just, like, gets mm-hmm. it and then drops off the mountain to Dimension Door somewhere else lower and safer. Hell yeah. At what point is the DM like, okay, screw you guys. <laughs> It almost seems like, though, that's the intention of the spell to allow you to do that, since it gives us an example, 200 feet straight downward. Yeah. Which really only makes sense as a direction if you're going into open space. Otherwise, I don't know why you'd want to go 200 feet straight downward, because you might be going into earth or stone. Well, unless you know there's caverns. Well, then you take damage. The only thing is that there you might know of an underground tunnel or an underground cave, and that's why you would do it. I guess. But you see what I'm saying? It seems like they left it open. It is. It's odd that it specifically says, uh, as an example, 200 feet straight downward. My only other thought is, let's say it doesn't actually stop your momentum. You're still limiting the distance to the ground, so you would be minimizing damage. Yeah. At the very least, you're cutting out 500 feet. So this is how you become a bard assassin, you're saying. <laughs> yes, let's roll with that new character. Bard assassin. Let's do it. The most loved of all characters. Oh, <laughs> I, w- I want him to have like a flute that that's doubles as a knife. Yeah, yes. yeah, or like a like a blowpipe. Oh, things should be bagpipes. Uh, blowpipe. Yeah, I think that'd be cool. That'd be excellent. Just needs to hit the right note to shoot it. Hey, Josh, did we ever say at the beginning of this that we're doing fifth edition rules? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess this is a good time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just realize. Didn't yeah. you want to maybe eventually branch out into other editions and or rule sets? Yeah, like, I, I didn't want to, like, keep this closed to any kind of, like, um, I guess we're, we'll go with, like, the same, kind of like u- universes in, in superhero movies, where, like, each universe has its own set of rules. Like, let's not blend the universes, otherwise we can do whatever we wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, in, in this case, we're, in this particular instance, we're dealing with 5th edition rules. Yeah. yeah. Episode 1, 5th edition rules, because it's what we know. Exactly, it's what exactly. Because it's what we're current. Well, yeah, I know, Rachel, you've got other other rule sets in the works. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, dear. But, yeah, 5th edition rules for D&D, but we can cover any other particular kind of tabletop or what whatever it is, just as long as we can take a arbitrary set of rules and go, wow, they left this kind of open. Let's shatter it. Yeah, and then people can listen to this and be like, wow, they totally didn't take this into consideration, and we will learn something. My favorite is going to be the feedback on this. Like when people like think of things that we just, we can't even, you know, like with the, uh, uh, oh God, like with the simulcrum army thing, which we'll, we'll get to in a, in a simulacrum. Oh God, it's starting. <laughs> <laughs> no. We love you. <laughs> I'm going to mispronounce that every time. It's magnificent. Become the Swedish chef. Crap. Um, but yeah, well, like with that one, like, like obviously some of these, and I'm gonna, I, I guess we'll try and avoid getting things from offline and we'll just try and see like what comes up in our game with our, our, um, uh, limited creativity versus the entire power of the internet working behind breaking a rule set. What you're saying, Josh, is you want to discover these things organically. <laughs> yeah, which I think we, we've already so far been pretty good at doing because you've already had to put limits on the number of potions we can have. And, <laughs> and, and, 
another. Yeah, I haven't had to whip out the because I said so yet, but we've been really close. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm the DM and I said so. I've almost gotten there, but I'm holding it for something really, really heinous <laughs> that I have overlooked. Like Lit's best friend. Like when we find a way of making uh... our Lit's the best friend ever. Oh. Yeah, and then you wanted to set him up with the uh, Shadow Dragon. Oh, it would make the cutest couple. That's not a terrible idea. I think it's a great idea. They'd be the cutest <laughs> couple ever. Yeah, right? Just super powerful, evil creatures. Well, they both have similar I- interests. They, they're both evil. He's not evil. They both uh, hate leaving home. Yeah, yeah. They could have a yeah. lovely little, like, Skype relationship. <laughs> a message relationship. Yeah. They'll just cast sending to each other over and over again. <laughs> yeah, that'll be excellent. And Liches are totally evil. I, I don't know that they should be. No, they're not. Hmm. They have to sacrifice a soul to stay Liches. Hey, 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 he had extenuating circumstances. He didn't choose the lich life. It chose him. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sounds like you're saying thug life. <laughs> That's perfect. But I think it would be really interesting to have, like, a, a an early lich who's not quite evil yet, who's, like, fighting against it as a narrative thing. But that totally unrelated would probably break the game because... Uh, yeah. Oh, completely. Yeah. Because lich yeah, is baby nerd. lich? Yeah. Like, baby lich. What's, what's baby the CR of a lich, Tony? 21. There it is. Yeah. I like liches. They're cool. I thought it was only like a 17. No, liches are over 20. That's why you guys, when you met the lich, I was like, please don't fight it. Please don't. And you guys didn't. You actually made friends with him-ish. It's immune to non-magical weaponry. I made friends with him. Yeah. No, he gave you an item. Mm-hmm. Oh, he so, did. You're right. Bonding. Yeah, the uh, the amulet. Yeah, which has been a huge <laughs> uh, consistent help, I'd say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you get set on fire repeatedly, it's nice to have extra HP. Yeah. And fire resistance things, finally. (laughs) I don't know anybody who's been set on fire more than you, Ash, which is really appropriate given your player name. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah. It's it's not intentional. I know that there's a theory that the DM is out to get the players. I'm really not. These things just happen. That's what makes for an interesting journey. Yeah. And burnt bears. And burnt bears. Uh, and toasted wigs. So many wasted wigs. Oh, the wigs. How much gold have you spent on wigs? I don't even know. Point? He spent like a hundred gold on wigs throughout <laughs> the course of the campaign so far. It's hard when you're naturally bald. So for the, yeah, so for the, for the poor listeners who are, who are um, hopefully holding on here, we've got, what, what is your character is, uh, um, what race are they, Ash? Earth Genasi. Well, half Earth Genasi, half, half elf. Okay, so they're bald. <laughs> Yeah, she's completely bald, and uh, she likes to attempt to fit in because she's also has very pale, like almost alabaster white skin with like pink veining, and um, <laughs> she wants to like blend in, so she puts on wigs and pretty dresses, you know, with armor and yeah, and her bear <laughs> and her mini donkey and her her mouse and her ten orphans <laughs> fits right in. She's a paladin, by the way, not a druid or a ranger. <laughs> yeah. Shh. Finer detail. And a, ve- a very eclectic paladin. Dimension Door, I think we uh, covered pretty... Uh... Dimension Door, excellent. Featherfall, obviously. That Was there anything in Featherfall besides well, natural use? Featherfall is, um, essentially, the question is, if the spell ends before you hit the ground, do you start at the level that the spell ends, at the height that the spell ends? Yeah, does your Featherfallness basically stop your momentum and it begins again once the spell is up if you're falling thousands of feet. So Featherfall will allow you to fall up to 600 feet. Um, so 60 feet per round up to one minute, so 10 rounds. So if you're at the height we were at, at 1,200 feet, 
we'd only be covering half the distance. So the question is then, do we essentially our new height as in terms of any falling damage start at 600 feet? Yeah, I would say so. I can't see why that wouldn't be. I mean, that's kind of the point of Featherfall too. It's, it's what verbal only. There's no somatic components. There's no, there's, there's material no... component. Yeah. You have to have a small feather. I hope you catch a bird on the way down then. If you don't have your, <laughs> if you don't have your material components. Well, if you're riding a, a griffin, don't they have feather? Just pluck one off here. Yeah. Yeah. True. Just grab a really small feather off the griffin. Yeah. That'll work. But yeah, no, I would, I would, I would even go far, so far to say that you could cast it like not right before you hit the ground, but like around before you hit the ground or something like that, depending on how DMs want to do their falling damage mechanic. That's something you'd have to discuss with your DM specifically, I would say, to depend, uh, kind of figure out how is falling working. Yeah, because Featherfall is totally supposed to protect you from this exact thing. That's the only thing it does. So. Well, and it slows your descent to 60 feet per round, but it, it doesn't say what from. Right. But it does say that you won't take damage when you hit the ground if it's still active. So I imagine once you start, I, yeah, I can't see any other way to, I can't see other, any other reason why it wouldn't just, um, start as soon as the spell ends if you happen to be falling such a far distance that the spell would end, which is what, 10 rounds, six rounds? It's one minute, so 10 rounds. That's a far distance. 600 feet. Wait a minute, it's one minute? It lasts for one minute. Yeah. You'd hit the ground no matter where you were falling from, probably. You'd have to be in outer space not to hit the ground. We dropped 1,200 feet, remember? Yeah, but like, I think when we that did the... Seconds, well, right? Yeah, we did the math, it was like two rounds. 10 to 14 yeah, seconds. Yeah, but that's falling at the speed in which terminal velocity would be. This means you're slowing your speed. To 60 feet. It says you fall 60 oh, feet per right. round. You're, you're right. Falling. You're falling essentially at a dash... Towards the ground. You've reduced your speed. So it takes longer. Hmm. So it takes a lot longer. Uh, it does specifically say, though, if you land before the spell ends, you take no falling damage. So, I mean, essentially, the I would say, I would agree with you that you're falling at such a slow rate that as soon as the spell ends, any additional uh, distance, that's the new height that you would be falling at. Yeah, I think yeah. so, too. That makes sense. I agree with that one. And, of course, if you had more, it's a level one spell, right? So, I mean, it's a reaction. You, yeah. And if you just had more of those that you could cast, like if you, if you didn't burn all your spells, you could just cast it again. If it takes that long to fall, you know, like you'll have time to cast it again. Well, if it's a reaction though. Yeah. But like once you start falling slower, you would start having more rounds. Yeah. Instead of having two rounds in which you hit the ground, you'll have 10 rounds before potentially, uh, before the spell even ends. Yeah. So yeah, you could just cast it again. That wouldn't be a but. Deal. But to me, hearing a reaction means there has to be an action that counters it. You're saying a trigger. Yeah, there's no trigger anymore because you're out of the distance. Unless you're saying that when you when Featherfall comes off and you begin falling again, that's the new trigger. That's what I would say would be a new trigger because essentially something has happened. The spell has ended and you have a new reaction. Makes sense. That's what I would rule personally. That's interesting. You're right. I didn't even think of the reaction part because that means you can't cast it willingly. Yeah, you can't just say, oh, I'm going to cast on you and it lasts for a minute just in case you fall. It actually says casting time, one reaction which you take when you or a creature within 60 feet of you falls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not bonus action or an action. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. That's weird. So that last bit, essentially being able to cast it again, I guess that's a little bit up to the DM because you are... Falling again at a new speed, but... My understanding is it wouldn't be continuous. You'd have a gap. Yeah, you would increase in speed all of a sudden. Yeah, so you're float, 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 and then all of a sudden start dropping again, which could be a new trigger for the reaction. Yeah. And that would be a debate between uh, any players and the DM, I would say, just as to you 
fall the rest of the distance too quickly to react or fall part of the distance and we're able to react or just can't read, can't cast it at all. You'd have to be an awfully evil DM. <laughs> there are there are evil DMs out there. I am not one of them. Please, can you guys confirm this? I you are not an my... evil DM. Aww, You're terrible. No. <laughs> You're not even an evil player. You just play a drow. Aww. A very snobby drow. Yeah. She's not evil. She's just obnoxious. There's a difference. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But uh no, that you'd have to be an evil DM not to give play not to save players with Featherfall. That would just be horrible. But there doesn't seem to be anything in Featherfall that would allow you to like cheat the system, so to speak. Yeah, I think they actually did a good job on that one. That one's well well worked. Yeah. Do y'all want to cover what, like the giant stuff now? Well what about Misty Step? Yeah, that's right, that's right. Sorry, we've only got we've only got a couple things listed there. So what's Misty Step do? So Misty Step. I love Misty Step. That's my spell. You basically turn into, like, a ball of mist and almost, like, teleport to a new spot 30 feet away. So it just, boop, it's only a verbal component. It's a bonus action, so it's, it's pretty quick. How many feet? 30 feet. It's a very small window of saving your ass. <sighs> but this was the one where we were questioning, would you maintain velocity? That was the big reason, because if you're close enough, you could potentially negate all the velocity you had. and By misty stepping. Fall 50 feet instead of 1,000 feet. It just says, uh, briefly surrounded by silvery mist, you teleport up to 30 feet to an unoccupied space that you can see. I could see uh, the ground coming at me. <laughs> true. true. Um, I guess it would be dependent on what teleport says then. Because mm-hmm. teleport in that context would be like referencing the spell. Like teleport as in the spell teleport. That's a good point. Let's see, the teleport spell instantly transports you and up to eight willing creatures of your choice that you can see within range or a single object that you can see within range to a destination you select. It's a long spell. It's really long. So unlike uh, Dimension Door, where it actually says you appear at the exact spot of your choosing, it doesn't say anything along those lines, so it's possible, depending on the DM's interpretation, that you just, your me- momentum's maintained. Yeah. Huh. I would like to convert my my thing to go sideways instead of down. Now, essentially, if you do that, you could potentially negate some of it. Yeah, if if you look at it, your dimension, you're you're casting misty steps, so you teleport thirty feet off to the side, so that you propel all that velocity off to the side, oh. and then just drop again. Only I hope you don't hit a tree. <laughs> well, we're assuming you know when the ground is arriving, or rather, when you're arriving at the ground. We're close enough. <laughs> Yeah. So that's an interesting question. Does that mean you can change your orientation when you teleport? There's actually nothing saying that you can't. Exactly. It says you teleport to a spot you can see. I'm assuming if it's a spot that's angled differently, you're going to orient appropriately. It's an unoccupied space. I don't know about that. That's interesting. Usually space refers to, of course, like a space on the floor. but Yeah, a, fi- a five-foot square Yeah, or hexagon, as the case may be. So for flavor reasons, you could basically say someone who just learned how to do teleport or someone practicing teleport or something like that potentially teleports themselves but angled incorrectly so that they fall, like, on their butt. Yeah, usually they fall on their back, they fall on their stomach, they fall on their head just because they angled themselves incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Huh. If you wanted to play to that extent. But really, we haven't answered the question of, is mo- is there conservation of momentum, I think, is the outstanding. In Misty Step, not in teleport. Well, in Misty Step in there for in... Teleportation. Yeah, teleportation situations. Dimension Door we were talking about, it sounded like we, we essentially agree that Dimension Door kills your momentum. Mm-hmm. That's what makes sense to me. 
Misty Step, I don't know. I would actually lean Misty Step uh, does not kill your momentum. Because it's moving, because you're stepping. Yeah. As opposed to being a door you go through. Oh, my God. That would make for such a weird gameplay mechanic. Just, like, you're falling 1,200 feet, and then the last 50 feet, you decide to misty step to the side so that you're now, like, ejecting your side, you know, self to the right. And then you slow your descent. So you may take some damage if you slam into anything going in that direction, but your drop would then only be 50 feet. Exactly. So you wouldn't take, you know... 20d6, you might only take like 8d6. Yeah. So really, it's like that scene in Wally where he has the fire extinguisher um, <laughs> out in space. <laughs> Which I think was scientifically accurate, uh, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, just like all movies. I'm actually really interested in the portal idea. I'm thinking teleportation circle. Okay. So what if you were to, only, only because we, uh, I think we put this down a while ago. And I, I kind of forgot we had that discussion really briefly because it takes a minute to cast. But what would happen if someone ha- tried to catch? Because you made a quick mention, Tony, of, of what would happen if somebody tried to catch somebody with a teleportation circle? Would it con- conserve momentum, or what would happen exactly? So essentially, you when you the teleportation circle works, you step into the space, and then you are at the uh, the other circle, the permanent circle. Essentially, if you're falling into that and it activates as you, right before you're about to hit it. It should be tough to time. Tough to time. Uh, let's say for a scroll, they're able to do it because the scroll just takes the action. Yeah, true. You will appear in the other circle, basically hitting the ground on the other circle. I would say that no, your, your momentum stays the same there because you can use teleportation circle and move as if you move five feet into the other space. So you basically splat at the other entrance. Well, it actually says within the description, any creature that enters the portal instantly appears within five feet of the destination or in the nearest unoccupied space if that space is unoccupied. So I think here's the here's the big question. Do portals in D&D work like portals in the game portal? <laughs> <laughs> I would actually lean yes. I would love to see people spout out of a teleportation circle just wee making a huge entrance. Cause, but I don't know. It uses the phrasing, uh, you appear. Which kind of seems like you apparate in some yeah. sense. Not that you are moved there, but you appear there. But appear is kind of a squirrely word, I guess. It's a slippery slope, Bethany. So that's kind of up to how you want to interpret that specific term, because I think that's what it hinges on. I'm thinking a DM would have to rule one way or another on the whole rule set of any kind of teleportation has conservation of manner or it doesn't, but one way or the other, not on like a per spell basis. Mm-hmm. So that your yeah. teleportation yeah. circles either either gave the ability for portals or gate gave the ability for portals, but otherwise it just wouldn't it wouldn't do anything. Honestly, if I were if this came up, which I now I'm like opening a door that I <laughs> won't be able to close since you guys are my players and it's recorded. <laughs> yeah, there's there's proof forever. Uh, I would say that I think your momentum doesn't continue in a. If you guys could manage to get a teleportation circle open as a player falls through it, I would let them live and not give them the falling damage because it's only open for one round. It that would be incredibly difficult. But uh, I don't I don't think it's like Portal. My my understanding is you appear in this new place. So guys, we need to get a helm of teleportation. Is all I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> Put it on the list. <laughs> and then you can fall out of the sky with impunity. Exactly. You guys heard it here first. Although, although then the question, then the question comes up of what do, do you like the, oh God, there was a, I think there was a superhero movie that, that, that had to do with this. What about the, um, 
the force damage of stopping and starting very quickly. Oh, like whiplash? Yeah, like what if you get whiplash from like suddenly teleporting and you're... And then stopping? Yeah, like rapid deceleration. Ooh. I don't think that's ever been a mechanic in D&D. that I know of. It's a nice academic question. <laughs> Which is why people can fall hundreds of feet and still survive. Yeah, only 20d6. I mean, it has happened in real life. People have fallen from planes and and survived. Mm-hmm. Not a lot. Not a lot. But, and their guts may look like like nasty, but you know. Yeah, it's that nat 20. Yeah. <laughs> There's always that twenties in real life and in D. Yeah. <laughs> what is what does Arcane Gate do? Creates uh, linked teleportation portals that remain open for the duration within 500 feet of each other. They're magical glowing rings that are filled with mist. Ooh. I think they stole this straight from Portal. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> it doesn't say what color they are. The portals are two dimensional glowing rings. <laughs> I am <laughs> ring inches from the ground <laughs> and perpendicular to it at the points you choose. This sounds a lot like Portal. Yeah. <laughs> it also sounds like your momentum would not be lost on this one. Because it says, any creature or object entering the portal exits from the other portal as if the two were adjacent to each other. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's true. The wording is different on this one. So maybe you can't do a an across-the-board ruling because Ooh. these spells all have slightly different... Yeah. This one, you just walk through it as if it's right next to each other. You're right. This one's literally Portals. Yep. Yep. Can we have a portal campaign? <laughs> now that we have a portal campaign. That would require an evil DM. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. That's that's absolutely true. It's a sixth level too. It's a powerful spell. By the way, this is. For those who don't know the party, this is a group who does not have a wizard. So most of these are academic questions, anyways. We have a sorcerer. That's about it, though. Yeah, but he does damage. You have a sweet paladin. Yeah. Misty Step. At Misty, Misty Step, man. That's all I'm bringing to the table. I can't believe there's a portal spell in here. That blows my mind. There is a portal spell. So when I was doing that little one-off session, Josh, I did a lot of research on portals, and it's uh, it gets messy. It's like time travel, which I also did for that session. It gets complicated really fast. You can break the game in no time. So you can add that to the list, uh, time travel. We'll have to go to a different edition for that one, though. Why? Is 5e doesn't have any good time travel? 5e has no time. It has time stop. Yeah, but that's stops time for the one yeah. one caster. Yeah, I know. That's it. It's it's really not a time travel mechanic. Have have anybody have any other thoughts on terminal velocity, or have we exhausted all possible? Well, I don't think... Did we ever, like, come to a conclusion? I think we should have it. I think it depends on the spells. Terminal velocity should exist, but then the second part is conservation of momentum. It sounds like the majority of the spells, based off of what we were discussing, kill your momentum. Except the gate. Except for Arcane Gate, um, which actually says it acts like you are just traveling within five feet. Everything else is you appear in a spot. Okay, so I'm going to throw this out. Feel free to shoot it down immediately. Paint us a picture. Paint a picture. You're falling. You put the one down, or or the one that you're going to fall into on the ground, and right next to it, you put the one that's going to shoot you up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How high do you go? Uh, because you'd eventually reach a point and then fall back down. I think you should just play Portal. Yeah, it's basically the, the game Portal. You just bounce back and forth. Well, no, because you... that spell only lasts a certain time, right? That's yeah. true. So it only lasts for up... To, it's a concentration and up to mint, which means you can drop it as soon as you pop out the second portal. You drop it, so you only shoot up how far... You'd shoot up as far as you fell down, or just a little less than that. In a round. There is one problem with with this. Yeah. Arcane Gate specifically says that the portal is cast onto the ground, 
as a uh, two-dimensional glowing rings filled with mist hovering inches from the ground and perpendicular to it. Oh. At the points you Wait, where's that at? Oh. So it is not flat on the ground. So you can't even fall into it. Well, that's just bullshit. <laughs> they ruined that whole spell. Unless you're falling. What if you're falling close enough to a building that you can cast it on the side of a building coming out? Then it would be per- perpendicular to the building, but parallel to the ground. Use two points on the ground that you can see. Yeah. Ground is ground is based on your perspective. <laughs> it's okay. Here's, here's what you do. You use your bonus action to misty step to the side and then cast arcane gate. So you just fly through it. <laughs> so other way around then. Oh, no, I guess you would have to cast the gate first. Get your misty step into the gate. I can't believe they ruined that spell. <laughs> I wanted yeah. a portal. Damn you, Tony, and reading things. Just, just ask a DM if it's okay. That's no good at all. <laughs> yeah, D&D is officially ruined because it's not portal. Ugh. Because we can't misty step through portals. <laughs> okay, anybody got anything else on terminal velocity? Oh, no, we didn't reach our conclusion. Yeah. Well, first off, I think it should be raised to 180 D6. I would actually be fine with that, the, the terminal velocity as it is. I mean, just keep increasing the, the D6 for however high you are up until 180. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ugh. That's a ton of damage. It's ridiculous, but... Just about everyone would die. I guess the question is, do you want, from, from the DM side, do you want to terrify your players so they never take to the skies? Because I think that's what I've done uh, unintentionally. We went back on that castle. You did. I was very proud. We went back. Yeah. Not not to fight dragons. No, we're not going anywhere like that again. But I think it adds a really exciting element of danger to aerial combat. If it if you can't die, if you can't die, then there's really fighting dragons in the sky isn't such a big deal. Yeah, that's why we. That's why Tony and I got on that conversation the whole time. Is he just he's you were fussy because you were like Uthal can just walk away from this, like potentially conscious. Not even a discussion of whether or not he was dead. If I'm conscious, I I will not take my negative max in damage, so... Yeah, there's, like, no chance of you dying, and there's a good chance of you not becoming unconscious if you happen to fall off at full health. Yeah, if I fall at full health, I most likely will remain conscious. So I would say, for anybody who's really trying to freak your players out, absolutely up to 100, and I think 180 is cleaner than 190, so you can roll 180 d6 for 1,800 feet... Anything above 1,800 feet, eh, you'll be fine. Walk it off. And uh, and uh, they should have a cleric. And the cleric shouldn't fall. No, no. The cleric should have raised dead. Yeah, raised yeah. dead at that point, because I don't think you're going to make it to the ground. Not that quickly. Yeah. So that would that would be the best thing. As for the portals, who knows? Apparently we've ruled portals are case-by-case basis. Actually, overall, we did rule that the portals uh, kill your momentum. Except for... Except for Arcane Gate, but that you can't actually place on the ground. So it winds up not really mattering unless you're like being thrown through it. Well, and then there's gate too. Yeah. Well, what about gate? We didn't talk about gate. Gate uh, also. That's right. Gate tells you to another plane of existence, but it says you appear in a space near. Yeah. You, mm-hmm. you can orient that any direction you choose. Hmm. So it does sound like it's still. So it sounds like it would kill your momentum. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think so. So for the most part, the only one that would actually act like a portal in the game are the ones you can't actually use like that because they have to be mounted perpendicular to the ground. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's no fun. <laughs> I'm really butthurt about this. <laughs> well, the other thing, um, I know, you, Rachel, you started to bring up uh, right before was, what if you were inside a bag of holding? Oh. Well, no, no. It was, what if you were falling and somebody tried to catch you in a bag of holding? 
say you were a small creature in this the scenario. Well, yeah, you'd have to be like a gnome or a, a halfling or a very, very, very tiny and skinny Elf. dwarf. <laughs> yeah, a, a skinny, a skinny dwarf. <laughs> yes, please. Because <laughs> there's that, and then there's the portable hole as well. Yeah, so we were looking at the bag of holding. It's only two feet in diameter. So catching someone really tough. And they really couldn't be wearing armor. Maybe they have really good acrobatics and can, you know, catch you. Isn't there a feat? No, I'm not, I must be thinking of something else. Something ridiculous, like you can like land in like uh No, I'm I'm I think I might be talking about a dream I had once. Disregard entirely. <laughs> Tell us about this, Josh. We'd love to hear it. <laughs> Wait, I was gonna say, isn't there a feat where you can like land in a glass of water? But I'm like, I must be remembering a cartoon that I saw once. Alright, that got weird. <laughs> I think this is unrelated entirely. I think I might just be too hot right now. I gotta turn on the fan. But but uh but I think the giant what was it, the giant hole? The what was the portable, portable hole? hole. <laughs> But the portable hole would probably be best because that's six foot in diameter. Yeah, but you can't use it to save yourself because it has to be placed on a solid surface. So your 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 party members would have to drop it below you. But it still is ten feet deep. So I think you would just fly ten feet further into a hole. Oh, so you would just get an extra d6 of damage. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're already at the 180 max, it doesn't matter at that point. Now you're you just don't make a crater. Yeah, well you would. It would just be. I guess what you're trying to do at that point is make a nice like oh he, like they cleaned up after themselves there's the body bag yeah oh. well you just <laughs> fold it up and any creatures inside will stay in that space yeah it's just for easy <sighs> cleanup so you're saying once they're dead this is where you store them until you raise dead yeah yeah <laughs> or if you know they're gonna die when they hit the ground that's like the watermelon <laughs> uh. <laughs> you want to explain that one <laughs> That one's up to Rachel. No. Rachel, you gotta explain the watermelon, cause now I gotta put it in the show notes, cause I've referenced it. I don't know the name of the stuff, but a coworker of mine was telling me about a coating that they use for things like industrial truck beds. That, you know, they don't want them getting scratched. And basically they did a test on it where they coated a watermelon, and then they threw it off, like, the top of a building. You know, some ridiculous, like, 120 feet. And it hit and bounced and everything. Didn't shatter, didn't break open. But when they picked it up, they said, or, you know, my coworkers told me, you could just hear, like, the sloshing inside. So it basically liquefied the interior of the watermelon. So the comparison that this has really been brought up for is uh, Tony's character was wearing uh, magical armor when he fell. So it did not get destroyed when I slammed into the ground. Yeah, so there, the theory is that it kind of held him together so he could be revivified. So, um, yeah, no body parts went flying, uh, because really, at that point, the amount of damage she would have taken, there really wasn't going to be any coming back from it. And who wanted to hear that description? No. Nobody. Nobody. I'm like, so, do you want to know what you see? <laughs> nope. Nope. No nope. one wants to know. Nope. Okay. We won't, we won't uh, talk about it. This watermelon thing is awesome, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's going in the show. I can't now. stop watching yeah, it. That's hypnotic. It is pretty mesmerizing. Thank you for sharing, Rachel. Where did wh- how did we get on the topic with the watermelon? Bag of holding. Bag of holding. Oh, that's right. Bag yeah, we holding. just fold that well, up. And, no portable hole. Or the portable, well, portable yeah, no, hole, no. but so okay. Really, what you went to was how do you keep the body tidy once they die? I think is where yeah. this came from. Because they are going to. Yeah, that's perfect. I think the portable hole is exactly what that watermelon does. It just keeps all the mess contained. Yeah, just fold it up as soon as, uh, as soon as the body drops, and you're good. Yeah, and it's just towed it away. But this brings up an interesting point, which can can a you were talking about bags of holding before and small creatures. 
can a small creature who possesses a bag of holding have enough time while falling 1,800 feet to pull out their bag of holding and shove themselves into it so that the bag of holding harmlessly hits the ground? And then someone just has to get them out of it before they suffocate. I don't know. It's a good question. I'm I'm studying bag of holding right now. I would say you have two rounds to do this. Okay, but here's the thing. The bag of holding can be overloaded, pierced, torn, ruptured, or destroyed. So you'd have to have enough space, and you can't be pokey. Like, if you've got stilettos on, that's just right out. No, no, no. Here's what I'm saying. The bag of holding is vulnerable to damage. So here's what winds up happening. The person can survive, but if the bag of holding hits the ground... Even if uh, the weight is is below the 500 pounds, it potentially gets ripped and everything inside is scattered in the astral plane. True. But I can't imagine a bag. Like, we've talked about how people have survived certain falls. I can't imagine a backpack would hit the ground and it would be just destroyed unless it caught on a tree or something. Or a sharp rock. Or a sharp rock, potentially. But that's yeah. that's not even going to do that much damage because the – not because of the weight, but because the the – the backpack's going to have more drag, and it's not going to fall at the speed a human would. So here's the thing. I think, as as Rachel's pointed out, unless the terrain is specifically described, you guys assume everything is an open field. <laughs> Whereas in most of D&D, the terrain is not open fields. It's mostly like forests with really pokey trees, mountains with really pokey rocks. There's going to be something on the other end besides just a flat ground. We've been assuming through all this that you are arriving at a nice flat ground. Um... This is because we all live in Florida. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Wait, there's other terrains? So we assume all all terrain is flat, sandbar, maybe some trees. So I think that that's an oversight on our part. Well, going back to the argument, even if the person's able to get themselves in the bag of holding and it does get destroyed, they'll still be alive just in the astral plane. No, they won't because I thought there's no air and they would, they would die. Uh, That's if they remained in the bag. But if the bag is torn and destroyed, then they just are released oh. into the astral plane, which means they're just out there. They're scattered. And you can live in the astral plane, right? Yeah, you can live. So so we're choosing between bloody pulp on the ground or potentially ejected into the astral plane. Pretty much. I'd go for the astral plane. At least you're alive. And couldn't they, if you created another bag of holding, potentially, like, isn't there a way you can pull things back from the astral plane? Well, the easiest way is to find a portal in the astral plane. Yeah, you could use a gate. Teleport circle. Not teleport. Astral. No, what was the other one we gate. You need a gate spell for that. You need, a, you, need a, you need actual gate spell. Yeah. Or the plane shift spell. But gate's a level nine spell, so to get this guy back, like, you might just be running around town, like, anybody cast gate? Anybody? That's why you need plane shift. It's a level seven spell, a little easier. But they're alive. <laughs> <laughs> so much easier. Level 7 spell. Well, it's the difference between a level 18 character and a level, like, 13 character. Yeah. Although a level 13 character would probably just survive the fall, unless, of course, it was 180. 180 no, so what you're six. saying is, you don't do this, you die, and you have someone cast Revivify on you or raise dead. At that point, yeah. I have a feeling after reading the rules that you unrotely give Uthal a critical hit when he hit the ground. I, I, I'm sorry. Unrotely? Unrotely? Un, un, that is the past tense of unrightly. I and un, looked it up. And unrightly is a, a verb? In this context. <laughs> <laughs> Stop dodging the question. Alright. I'm still pretty, I'm pretty confident. So your, your belief is that 
he should only take in uh, one failed death save when he hit the ground as opposed to two from a critical. Yes, and and this is the reason. I actually don't. I think I think what you did was fine. I think hitting the ground at that whoa, distance whoa, whoa, whoa. and that. I'm not going for fine. I'm going for right. <laughs> okay. Whoa. All right then. Okay. Well, we'll play this game then because rules is written. He should not have gotten two death fails. Be very careful. Because any attacks made against a creature who is unconscious is a critical hit. That's true. Yes. But hitting the ground is not an attack. Oh, I'm so sorry, Josh. Oh. Yeah. Because blunt for- bludgeoning damage is a blunt force attack. Yep. Rules is written. So if you take any damage while you have zero hit points, you suffer a death saving, a death saving throw. Mm-hmm. That's yes. fine. It then qualifies that to say if the damage is from a critical hit, you suffer two instead. Yes. Which means, which implies that damage from an attack from an opponent would be a critical hit. It doesn't hit. say opponent it, it does anywhere say in the rule. Then what would be the conditions to suffer damage that wouldn't be considered an attack and thus be a critical? So the key is that it has to be an attack from five feet. It's the bullet number two, Josh. Any attack that hits a creature is a critical hit if the attacker is within five feet of the creature. And my understanding is if the ground can attack you with bludgeoning damage, it is therefore an attacker. And if you are hitting the ground, it is definitely within five feet of you. Because it's within zero feet of you. (laughs) So if... Wait a minute. So you're saying that if if a creature was hit with a spell, a ranged spell, that would not be a critical hit? That is correct. Because it's not from within five feet. Unless it was a spell from within five feet. So the biggest key for an attack on an unconscious creature is that it is done... The source of the attack is within five feet of the unconscious creature. I had not seen this rule under bludgeoning blunt force attacks. Where is that? What page is that on? It's under the damage types. Ah, there it is. 196. It's like you don't, it's like you don't want me to be right, Josh. A little bit. (laughs) Why would we? I kind of thought I'd turn it around. (laughs) Yeah, it's okay. You gave me time to prepare. Also, I'd prepared before you guys ever did the encounter, um, because there was a chance this could happen. That seems like a, um, I'm going to give this to you. (laughs) Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're not giving it. You're not giving it to me. I'm taking it. I'm going to allow this. (laughs) I hate to say it too, Josh. It's okay. Just to mention something briefly in relation to this, um, out of all the damage descriptions, only bludgeoning and piercing describe it as a type of attack. What's the third one again? Bludgeoning, piercing, and... No, only bludgeoning and piercing. Even slashing is not actually described as a type of attack. Slashing. That was the one I was... That's the one I was thinking of. Slashing. Okay. It says swords, axes, and claws all deal slashing damage, but it specifically says bludgeoning is a blunt force attack, mm-hmm. and piercing is a puncturing and impaling attack. Those are the only two damage types that actually specifically say it's a type of attack. I'm actually very surprised. I would like to say that this is an oversight. Uh, I think it isn't. I think it's pretty clear that it was set up this way because they do specifically call out falling under bludgeoning Mm -hmm. right after they say it's an attack. So I think this is intentional. Even if it isn't intentional, that's very interesting. But you're right. They do call it falling, and that's an attack. So I guess that's a critical. So you're right. If you're unconscious. True. Wow, I'm blown away. I did not see that bit. <laughs> Interesting, right? I'm very surprised. Plot twist. 